0: Bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please. My
1: ass. You want a sandwich? Dig yeah, that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad man. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. <laughs> if I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a
0: white world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. While well, you always hear about the golden era of this and the golden era of that, well, today we're going to discuss definitely for sure what would be the golden era of something that changed uh, music forever. And we'll discuss it with my guest next, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast
2: summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you have talked to us.
1: Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and
2: Bryant.
1: I can I can feel it when you walk. Even when you walk, it takes over
0: me. Yes, I'm someday. I wanna know can, can you, you feel you? it too? Just like I go. Okay, ready whenever you are. Okay. Um uh, I think I told you this is a post uh, produced show. Um I already kind of Recorded an opening real quick, and uh, I'll welcome the audience back, and we can get going. Okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier, you always hear about the golden era of different things. Well, today's guest definitely has hit it on the mark with his um, belief in the golden era of music videos. And, um, you know, that was from, what, 1974 to 1992. Uh, he is a music, uh, music video historian, expert on the golden age of music videos. Oh, that I see, I wrote down 1976 to 1994. Uh, and he is the managing editor of music video Time Machine magazine. Today's guest is Stephen Patello. How you doing, Stephen? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? a uh, little rough start, but uh, I'm going to make it through. So that's good. Yeah. So, uh, like I stated earlier, you've de- uh, definitely hit it straight on uh, with the uh, years of the you know of the golden age of music videos. What in your mind? What makes it the golden age of music videos?
1: Well. I book ended it with a couple of very key moments. Um, The first is in 1970, we had Queen come out with Bohemian Rhapsody, and that aired on Top of the Pops. Um, And many music video directors and some bands uh, saw that and saw a real opportunity. Uh, in changing how music was delivered, and many of the music video directors I have talked to said that it was an inspiration as to what could be done. Uh, 1994 or so uh, was the end of some big production videos, uh, such as uh, Guns N' Roses' Use your illusion trilogy of Don't Cry, November Rain, and Estranged. Now, what happened was that there was an enormous amount of money spent on these, so over a million dollars. Um, and the director Andy Morahan actually spoke to me about that and said that he actually, after it was finished, he did not feel that he had really captured the essence of Guns N' Roses. And so he asked them if he could do one more music video for them, which would be just them in a room with the camera locked off um, and the band just playing this song called Garden of Eden, which was a a much more punk feeling short song. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, They agreed to do it. And I mean, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't even, I don't think a release of the album officially, but it brought things all the way back around to, trying to stay uh, focused on the essence or the character of, of a musical act and, and what they're really about. So I, I thought those made nice bookends to what was going on. Um, and to answer your question, why it's the golden age, it's basically an evolution that happened while uh, MTV was emerging as the, the big kahuna of the delivery of all of these music videos. And there was a sweet spot in there of creativity that allowed for almost anything to uh, catch fire. Um, The schizophrenia of the music video uh, of the musical charts at that time actually reflect what a varying menu of, of bands had opportunities specifically because of their music videos and because they were being played regularly on MTV. Um, It's a wild, wild time when you can have Bruce Springsteen, Eurythmics, Michael Jackson, uh, you know, all these different artists in very different uh, genres, all on the pop charts simultaneously, solely because of their exposure due to their music videos.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you what was the role of cable TV, uh, because in a lot of homes, cable TV was still new and uh, the industry was still growing. So to have a channel like uh, MTV uh, really helped things.
1: But I think, go ahead. Absolutely. And I would also say that um, if you didn't have MTV, um, you were still clamoring to see music videos. People uh, often, uh, I mean, people understand that uh, MTV launched on April, I'm sorry, on August 1st, 1981, And only had a limited amount of music videos that they were playing. And they were on 24 hours a day. Um, And that particular cable channel was only airing in specific smaller markets across the country. Um, People don't realize that MTV did not air in New York or L.A. until 1983. So what was happening was that they were testing uh, these markets. They were seeing what what would work, what would not. And... Many I mean, that was the whole I want my MTV campaign, getting people to add this to their cable. And after a certain period of time, the exposure started to uh, come to the attention of the marketing departments who had created these videos. And they were saying, "What, you know, why are we selling so many Duran Duran and Culture Club albums in the middle of nowhere? And it's specifically because MTV was airing those music videos regularly. Kids were glued to the TV, seeing all of these bands for the first time. Well, in
0: 1980, I moved from St. Louis to Minneapolis, and um, I didn't have cable TV where I lived. But there was a, a, a small UHF, most people, young people don't even know what a UHF is, station. <laughs> and so all they did was play music videos. And um, that's where I got to uh, fall in love with um, uh, Donald Fagan's Nightfly. Was from
1: oh, the that station. That's interesting that you would say. Now, what was the name? Do you remember the name of the station uh, that you were watching?
0: No, they would just it would just pop on, and they would just start playing music videos.
1: Okay, I I've been searching around for different situations like that for a section in Music Video Time Machine magazine called Station to Station. Uh, in our first issue, we cover V sixty six, which is uh, was a short lived UHF channel in boston that uh people to this day um credit with exposing so many bands um during the music video era for people who didn't have mtv and they were able to see these videos for free as you as you know i mean uh, yeah people don't understand what (laughs) uhf was right but um across the country there were these uh you know weird little channels that would pop up that had uh music videos and I, I try to seek out those and, and programs etc there's there one in anchorage alaska um it, it's interesting for you to say that there were there was one that you found when you were growing up um there's one in uh New Jersey I believe it's called uh U63 I'm not absolutely sure but I think it's U63 and um people would talk about how that was a big influence because they played a whole lot of metal
0: Yeah, because uh, even the station that I'm uh, talking about here, now, uh, I was living in Minneapolis at the time. Um, early p- print stuff would show on there, too, and it was like, hey, this is kind of nice and whatnot. And then, the you know, once a, um, the proliferation of cable TV and MTV happened, then it all moved to there, and, you know, the UHS stations basically, you know, pretty much disappeared. Um, The other question I have off of the birth of this is, and I don't mean to get political by this, but there's always been the argument about uh, the lack of black uh, artists being played on MTV in the early days. Was it because of where it was being played, you know, the areas that it was being played,
1: uh, did that have anything to do with that? Well, to be honest, I, here's what I think from, from what I've gathered and from the people I've talked to. Um, originally, the whole idea was to program it like an FM rock station. They made the mistake of calling it music television and taking on basically a, a, such a wide, you know, such a huge banner for this. Then all of a sudden, everybody is saying, well, why aren't you playing all music if you call yourself music television? Um, the first day they didn't have, I don't think, any uh, artists um, that were African-American uh, other than, you know, members of say the specials or of a, uh, or or of the English Beat or something like that. Um, but they did remedy it after a few years because it was just undeniable. You couldn't play pop music on this station without uh, bringing in African-American artists and Latino artists, etc. cetera. So um, I don't think it was overt intentional racism. I think it was a lack of planning and really absolutely not understanding that this thing was going to explode the way that it did. Uh, I, I think if they'd have known how this was going to go, they'd have done it a whole lot differently than they did because the first day they were you know they they had a 24 hour music video station and they they didn't have enough music videos to air for 24 hours they had to start repeating you know after a certain period of time already so that was one of the 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 factors that led to this wild west show of music uh, in the early to mid 80s you had anybody who had a cool video could get on mtv and there was a lot of people who who gained popularity very quickly just because they had something very you know cool to to show uh you know everybody from uh like we said like everyone from duran duran mm-hmm. zz top right. you know i you couldn't predict what was going to work and what was not um because the marketing departments of these different radio stations, I mean, these different record labels were all saying, just make it look cool. Or if, if it was a, an artist that was particularly good looking, you know, make sure you get some close-ups of them. Right. Yeah, things like that. And then after a while, uh, it becomes this incredible filmmaking opportunity for a set of, of filmmakers that I think th- there was never another moment in filmmaking history that was quite like this. You would get the assignment. They would give you whatever it was, anywhere from you know ten to thirty thousand dollars to go make a short movie that was going to be like three minutes long, maybe a little bit more. You already had the song, so you didn't have to worry about shooting any any sound. And if your assignment is just make it look cool, uh, then that's what you did. And then when you turned it in and you got it over to MTV, and they were you know they needed content, they needed stuff then if it got accepted it would get played and it would get played again and again and again so the work that you were doing was being seen there's really nowhere to compare that particular experience and that particular phenomenon any other time in filmmaking or broadcast history i think
0: well i mean you had like you said Duran Duran they you know they were good looking guys and you know they had the look and they had the music vibe um zz top you know sharp dress man and things like that
1: you know um well i think the difference between those two bands is is interesting to me i I think zz top uh they were very talented musicians they had a touring following um and they had a very talented director tim newman who just came up with this great idea where you know the band were not going to be sort of the center of it it was going to be a a story about, uh, you know, a kid, uh, we're going to have a cool car and we're going to have some beautiful girls. And it was, you know, definitely, it was very American. When you think about it, right. If you look at, if you look at Duran Duran, it's designed to take you, uh, to exotic lands and mm-hmm. to see things and, and to, uh, you know, these are, these are, uh, good looking guys, you know, bond level, uh, <laughs> uh, right. cinem- cinem- uh, cinematic adventures and things. So, so it's it's very interesting to see the differences between the UK and the US when they were trying to get these things done. The UK had the the advantage of shooting music videos far before the American audiences were doing it because there was there was places to show them. There were breakfast shows uh, in the UK. There were music uh, television programs all across Europe in every country that you could send these to. They would air them. So uh, all the artists that came out of London and Manchester and Birmingham, uh, all, once they were signed, they had what was called their international clip or their pop promo. And it's one of the reasons that the very first day of MTV, Rod Stewart had uh, somewhere between 11 and 15 music videos in rotation. I mean that's that's pretty amazing when you think about one artist having right. that much exposure at that time, but I you know I tell people a lot Rod Stewart's always been ahead, way ahead of 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 what was going on and and I mean to his credit he's still out there touring, still making it happen. He's very active on social media. Uh, you know, if you want to you want to study somebody who knows what they're doing, Rod Stewart's always a good subject.
0: Yeah, I was. Uh... <clears throat> a bit player at a uh classic rock radio station here in uh, Minnesota KQRS for 22 years and you know doing a, a part of that time and you could not have a hit song without a cool video and um did it just happen that way or it just became that you had to have both
1: oh it became a, it be- absolutely became a prerequisite because you did see a lot of artists who came in and they tried and it didn't work. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, artists like Christopher Cross and even Diana Ross mm-hmm. tried to have a, a music video presence and it just didn't happen for them. But, but what was interesting is that he, there was no way to know what was and what was not going to happen until you tried it, until you, you wanted to do it. Um, for everyone like Christopher Cross, then you have someone like Tom Petty, who he got it. He he was able to make really interesting music videos, um, and surround himself with you know people who really knew what they were doing, and and continued a, a career, that a career path that you can, I mean you couldn't have predicted how big things like Don't Come Around Here No More and and Free fallen, Learning to Fly, Into the Great Wide Open. I, I, you know, he's Tom Petty. He's incredibly Uh, well-respected songwriter, but he also had these amazing music videos, you know, Billy Joel as well. He was able to really ramp it up and make things happen uh, in his career by, by doing all these music videos uh, at a certain period of time when that's what you needed on, on television. Um, I think to examine the pop metal a phenomenon is to know what was happening on mtv at that time too uh you had your you know here comes motley crew poison bon jovi uh you know all, all these bands and even guns and roses uh though they were a little bit they had different sort of trajectory and a different sort of storyline that they were running through but all of a sudden you couldn't get away from the power ballad uh, and that was absolutely had a lot to do with music, video, television. I mean, you know, getting your stuff on television was so important that they even had a formulaic way of doing things after a while. You know, every pop metal band had its ballad and you would have one of a, only a few music video directors who were really doing it the right way. You had Wayne Isham um, and you had you it, it, these guys really figured it out and just unfortunately it became a xerox of a xerox of a xerox after a while i mean when you get down to the white lion and trickster and and you know that that end of things you're starting to you're starting to create these things that everybody knows what you're what you're going to do and what you're going to deliver so um and that i mean that's a whole another sort of conversation about how all that came about I, i i often think of that uh, Van Halen really paved the way for uh, women-friendly heavy metal and doing videos where they're smiling because that heavy metal was not about smiling.
0: No, no it wasn't. It was yeah, about so power.
1: It was about power. It was about male aggression, and it was about uh, it was it, it did not have uh, appeal for female fans. But then all of a sudden, you had these, you know the looking guys and these interesting licks. And, you know, after a while, everybody was a copy of Van Halen, which was in a way, a copy of Led Zeppelin with the blonde singer and um, the extremely talented guitarist. So you had your, you know, I mean, that's, that's Van Halen, that's Motley Crue, that's White Lion, that's, you know, know, there's a whole lot of these guys, Faster Pussycat, it's, you know, you you can go on forever. Um, But yeah, you had periods of time where people uh, watched MTV and they learned what was going to work and what was not going to work. But whenever you have something like that happen, there always is a few people who are going to go sideways and going to go do it a different way and figure out another way of coming about, of, of doing it. And that's what happened with the Seattle sound and with, uh, you know, these alternative artists like REM and Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Jane's Addiction, you know, they, they all figured out uh, yet another way to do it. So I think the value of MTV and the value of your music video was solidified uh, during this time.
0: Well, and also during this time, you had something else happen, which was, other stations like mtv pop up and one of them was bet and um it was a place that black art uh, artists were shown which only increased the the uh, viewership and a uh and i think it actually brought back for a while um uh, r&b music
1: and um, i would and, absolutely agree with that and That Video Soul with Donnie Simpson Mm -hmm. was, I mean, that was a real uh, cultural linchpin for so many people watching African-American, African-American artists. But also in New York, you had Video Music Box, which was a a public access uh, show that was done by Ralph McDaniels. He still does it to this day that was exposing hip hop in the very, very early days um and was an absolute influence throughout the hip hop history especially people coming out of new york because all of a sudden these hip hop bands uh, they had a face these these different dj's and mc's uh, were being seen so yes these different independent areas were were places that and and not only were it was it different places to be seen besides MTV for some of them it was where you would be seen if you weren't on MTV, um, things like uh, WTBS's Night Tracks and, uh, you know, Friday night videos all right. of a sudden on yep. network television. That was that was huge. Um, but and, and you had things like uh, HBO's uh, video jukebox that would come between the movies, which was, you know, that was revolutionary in and of itself. So the exposure during that time, uh, basically throughout the eighties was something that every marketing person at every record label had to have a plan for after a certain time, because I mean, when you are the number one rotated artist on MTV and that's platinum records, it's not hard to figure out what your marketing scheme needs to be for the next artist. Uh,
0: So did did uh, this explosion of music videos did it kill shows like the uh, Midnight Special and American Bandstand and um, uh, Soul Train?
1: No, I didn't think. I don't think it's, it killed it. It just it was a compliment. It was a, another way to see it. Um, things like Bandstand and Soul Train. You knew what you were going to get every time you watched you were going to get a live performance or you were going to get a dance line or you're going to get some people dancing around if you watched mtv you didn't always know what you were going to get because the visuals would not always be exactly what you were expecting or if there was an artist that you really wanted to see you would have to sit and wait mm-hmm. for it to, happen, which is totally foreign to the on-demand viewership that we have for uh for young people today it's it's very difficult for them to understand the cultural impact of MTV when they don't understand the media landscape from 30 years ago
0: yeah you had to learn how to do things like program a VCR and uh, set it set it to whatever channel you wanted it to record music videos just to catch you know that, that way you could play your favorite music videos when you wanted to or you know and things like that which also increased and you know other industries such as the vcr and uh yeah. those things and am, am off base or
1: oh yeah absolutely it um you know you, you just have to point to the fact that uh i think the making of michael jackson's thriller on vhs sold millions and That's, you know, pre-internet. You had to go to a record store or wherever you could get a videotape at the time and buy it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, selling millions of those, that really showed uh, that, you know, there were some artists that were way out in front, like Michael Jackson, who, you know, say what you want about his legacy, but it's hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find another video besides Thriller that had the impact at the moment that it did
0: yeah because thriller was the massive what some people call the massive crossover music video that wound up on every you know you know not only bet but mtv and you know friday night videos and er everything that was shown and then you started to notice that you would have crossover of uh You know, white artists on BET and black artists on um, uh, MTV, and and they all wound up on uh, Friday Night Videos. So it was, you know, that I always um, because that was produced by. um, Oh, I'm looking at, (laughs) I'm seeing, yeah, Quincy Jones, and Quincy had produced so many different people. Uh, over the years that um, it just to me it it brought about the whole explosion for everything to happen you know on everybody's show
1: at the same time that's that's interesting you would say that you know this uh this premiere issue of music video time machine that that uh, came out earlier this year um our cover story is a long interview with john landis all about shooting thriller and and some of the things that he had not talked about before um, in the experience of of doing it about how that they, they made a deal with showtime so they could raise money to do it the record company did not want to pay for this because uh, they had had all of that album that they thought that they could squeeze out of they wanted him back in the studio to make the follow-up but um, John landis goes into you know, real detail about that and about what a different experience it was when he came back to direct black or white, which is on the dangerous album mm-hmm. and how much different Michael Jackson was at that point, because then it was post thriller. It was also post bad, right. which, but you know, that, that was a, a, a huge album, but did not do the numbers that the previous one had done. Uh, and he said it, it was a very different experience. I, I suggest people seek out uh, musicvideotimemachine.com and you can check out the uh, the article on that. There's there's also several other articles um, that are interviews with different music video directors who also uh, one in particular who also worked with Michael Jackson on uh, "Beat It," which is uh, Bob Giraldi. Yes. He 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 directed actually videos for these rock and roll Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, for this year, Pat Benatar, and Lionel Richie, so that you can get some behind the scenes on those as well.
0: Well, it's interesting you brought up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, with this year's group of uh, inductees, it seems like uh, music video played a lot in their success.
1: Well, it, I, I would argue that, okay, well, for one thing, the person in charge of it now is John Sykes, who right. was the first... Um, he he was one of the founders of MTV. Uh, He was also uh, very briefly a manager for Carly Simon. And Carly Simon is going in this year after, I mean, she's been eligible for more than two decades, I believe. Um, But yes, uh, Duran Duran is going in uh, because of the fan vote. And I I mean, the second I saw them on the ballot, I was like, their fans are on, you will not be able to escape putting rock and roll hall of fame in front of the name duran duran after this because their their fans will not let it not happen um but you make a good point pat benatar i mean pat benatar does not get nearly enough credit for for what she did at the time that she did it and uh you know now rock and roll sure pat benatar Lionel Richie, i'm not sure but his videos definitely put him out front uh, you know everything. I mean, all night long. You you could not right. get away from all night long. But you know, at that point, and um, you know, then running with the night and, and hello
0: and dancing on the ceiling,
1: <laughs> dancing on the ceiling. Weirdly enough, directed by Stanley Donnan, who had actually directed uh, Fred Astaire in the movie that that particular video was a copy of, where where they they uh, turned the whole Uh, room upside down slowly and he dances on the ceiling
0: right but i mean you know you look at um people like pat benatar and duran 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 and the arrhythmics you know who who are a different sound themselves yes and um even you know dolly parton claimed that she didn't um deserve to be in a hot uh the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, let's face it. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is probably the most poorly named Hall of Fame ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it should just be called the music or pop music Hall of Fame. And and she would definitely, you know, belong. You know, Judas Priest and Carly Simon. And then Terry and Jimmy, who are from Minnesota and Basically right. created with Prince, the Minneapolis Sound, you know, which also had you know a you know a very visual look to it. To me, all these people, you know, you could you know want to find not only their songs but to see them perform it and perform it in some type of movie-like
1: um, genre. Sure, sure. And The cinematic nature of these artists, really did contribute to their success. There was nobody weirder to watch than the Eurythmics. It was, I mean, from the very first pounding beat of Sweet Dreams. Right. And then you see Annie Lennox, and she's beautiful. She's got that shaved, like, really short haircut. And you see uh, David Allen Stewart playing basically a a computer keyboard and you're like, what am I watching? And so, but in the end though, it's also their songwriting talent and Annie Lennox's voice. You know, there's just nobody that sounds like her either. So yeah, I I can go along with uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, bringing in the Eurythmics because they they really did kind of uh, break down a lot of barriers, but in ways that I don't think are reflected as much now. I mean, we hear a lot of synthesizer music, but I don't know how creative it is and how much of a, I don't know, how much of a, a true influence you can hear in any of these artists. Um,
0: well, I can, when you talk about the opening sounds of that song, for me, it's the violin. And, you know, the the, the violin playing with and against you know, her voice is just very dramatic for
1: me. Absolutely. Uh, you no, know, it's go. The, the like you were saying, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, I did a Comic-Con panel last year uh, for the 40th anniversary of MTV. And John Sykes was there. And some people had some questions about, you know, what's up with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? How come, you know, this person is and that is. And John said something to the effect of, you know, wherever I go, that's the one thing most everybody has an opinion about who should go in and who, you know, what should be happening. So I think it's really great for one thing that Judas Priest is going in, no matter, you know, in what form. And who's next? Uh, Iron Maiden. How can you not have Iron Maiden go in? You know what I mean?
0: Right. Um." Do you think that the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is misnamed?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, do I think it limits people's perception? Uh, Yeah, it absolutely limits people's perception of what should be in and what should not be in. And because uh, I think when Jan Wenner, the head of Rolling Stone, was running the thing, he just started to. His friends in there, um, and started to put. I, you know, the one I always wonder about is Donna Summer. That that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, you can't, I, you know. And I think that everybody has somebody like that where they go, "Well, how can you put Donna Summer in?" And you can't. And and, and yeah, I'll say it. Donna Summer's in Iron Maiden's not. Is it really the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Fame? Right. But it's also a very interesting. Um publicity tactic that was unintentional. people talk about this all the time, and they say, you know there's no such thing as bad publicity if if you're talking about it, it's great and that's the thing that people say about Howard Stern. There was that period of time where people who loved him listened to a certain amount of it, and people who hated him listened to it even more. <laughs> So, you know, in the end, I think everybody who's involved with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is like, say what you will, good or bad, but just spell our name right. Yeah.
0: Because um, I struggle with, you know, my favorite uh, artist, and she has made wonderful songs and has great uh, visual music videos, is Sade. Oh, yes. And uh, she has been... Uh, up for induction several times and never elected and it makes me wonder why she can't get get in and then i you know lean back on the name it's the rock and roll hall of fame it's not the you know it's not the soul music hall of fame or the jazz hall of fame whatever box people would want to put her music in but
1: well i also think shade doesn't need our help (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that is that is a hundred percent true. So um I just wanna well get off the rock and roll hall of fame thing and um what music what would be the top music videos of all time? The ones that wowed us and you know, the one that the ones that keep getting played even today that the that, you know uh our children and their children are watching.
1: Well, it's there's sort of a large banner here. Um, I'd have to say that the ones that we're going to keep on talking about for a very long time will be Thriller, um, Guns and Roses, November Rain. We will be talking about for a long time. Um, and it's funny sometimes I see uh, memes and I see mentions and I see gifs of music videos that that seems to give them sort of a resurgence in the public consciousness. So I will see things like uh Once in a Lifetime by the talking heads. It's very odd. You see that Mm -hmm. uh, imagery of David Byrne with the glasses and doing the weird dance. You see it, you still see it a lot. Um Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer. I think that's one people are going to talk about for a very long time uh, and continue to do that. Um I I don't I don't know. several of the, of the Michael Jackson ones beat it, uh, is pretty credible. Um, but there are some Janet Jackson videos that stand up just as well. I think Rhythm Nation stands up really well still. So I guess it all depends on what you think music video at that time was about. Um, you know, you can never have your first kiss again. And sometimes you put it in a in a box, and you go back to it again and again, just because it was at the beginning. So I think even video killed the radio stars. Something that they are going to every time they talk about MTV, they're going to play that that video.
0: Uh, now you see the the uh, on YouTube the people viewing music videos for the first time you know young people and you know you, you you the one that's probably the most famous is the one um uh two african-american youth watching uh phil collins um
1: oh, yeah yes yes <laughs> i've seen that
0: right um, so will music videos really ever die
1: Uh what, what piece of art, you know, or, or, or combination of art and commerce stands the test of time uh, as much as a music video, any film that you love, you know, will The Godfather stand the test of time? Will uh, Hamlet, you know, it, it, it's, it's all about what you're embracing at that moment and how it follows you how it keeps going um we will never be able to talk about certain artists without talking about those music videos and talking about those moments um i have a set of of videos that i've always really enjoyed that i I tell people to seek out um one of them is peter gabriel's shock the monkey which is just a, a a It's it's really crazy. It's absolutely the sort of, oh, we must be inside the guy's mind. What in the world's going on? I'm not absolutely sure. I think it's great. Um, Also, Aldo Nova's fantasy. Uh, It's got this almost minute and a half intro that's like the Terminator. And then Aldo Nova uh, in his leopard leotard jumps out and shoots his way into a, a warehouse uh, using a guitar that has a laser coming out of it. it's <laughs> just crazy um another is uh robert plant's in the mood uh for one thing in the mood's a great song uh, uh phil collins actually uh, I believe produced and played uh, the drum track. He may have not produced it, but he did play the drum track. It's incredible. But you watch this thing and it, it's another one of those, there are several weird things going on all at the same time. Um, there's breakdancers. dancers. Somebody throws a dove in there The fly away. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, the horses. It's like, where are we and what's going on? It, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, and the, uh, the last, well, there's a couple more that I really like. Golden Earrings Twilight Zone is fantastic. It's uh, this this Dutch filmmaker named Dick Moss created a, a Bond movie, basically uh, a, a, like a spy thriller out of this this weird little song. And it's just fantastic. I recommend to everyone to, to seek it out. In fact, um, Music Video Time Machine Magazine has a behind-the-scenes uh, sort of uh, photo essay. And information uh, when we interviewed uh, dick moss about it uh and the last one i'll say is in ian hunter of mata Hoople. he did one called all the good ones are taken and uh it, it's just it's just a lot of fun um he's basically playing a rich rock star who falls for a waitress uh and you can't get her to pay attention to him it, it's just it's really charming it's really it's a testament to you can you can tell a little story and you can get everybody's attention uh, with something very simple. Um, it's <laughs> it always tickles me. And uh, I suggest people seek that one out, too. Um,
0: so can you uh, tell the audience what. Um, Video Music Time Machine magazine, things they would find in, in that magazine and. I'm going to be one of those type of guys. Is it a printed magazine or is it just uh, something that you find online?
1: Well, your, your readers will be able to find it online. Um, if you go to musicvideotimemachine.com, uh, there's different kind con- different content, and there's uh, listings for events and other things going on. But you can click directly into the magazine. Um, this first issue. Uh, has, as I said, a cover story with John Landis about uh, Michael Jackson's thriller and the other things he worked on, but also we have interviews with uh, members of several bands who talk about those music videos from their time, Uh, Hall & Oates, Go-Go's, Bananarama, Berlin, Howard Jones, and then we get to our director interviews, uh, which is sort of the meat of the magazine. Uh, Like I said, Bob Giraldi, who directed uh, not just Michael Jackson's Beat It, but Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield, Lana Ritchie's Hello. And we also talked to Samuel Bayer, who was actually one of the directors who came about in the 90s. He directed not only Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, but also Blind Melon's No Rain. So that's a com- real one-two punch combination there. We also interviewed some UK directors, David Mallet, who did all these incredible videos for uh, Def Leppard and ACDC. And we also talked to Dave Robinson who ran Stiff Records but was also the music video director for all of those artists. And so he was the one who uh, gave us all those great images of uh, Madness and um, Tracy Ullman's uh, They Don't Know video, uh, which featured Paul McCartney. There's a great little story in there about how Paul McCartney came about uh, to be in that music video. Um, and then there's just a bunch of other, you know, wonderful, <laughs> great stuff. We have a special feature uh, one of the last interviews done with the late Adolfo Shabadu Quinones, uh, who was uh, the godfather of street dance and appears in everything from Lionel Richie's All Night Long uh, to uh, I Feel For You by Shaka Khan. Uh, he was sort of the matinee idol of uh, breakdancing. So it was, all, uh, it was very interesting to be able to interview him. On, and unfortunately, gone too soon um but the other stuff you know check it out you'll you'll really enjoy uh, what you see i think and uh and we'll have another issue out coming out very soon uh once again that's at music time but you can also check us out through twitter at mv time machine and on instagram music video time machine
0: one of my uh favorite music uh genres <laughs> Believe it or not. Um I my music background is so varied. Um I I was born in nineteen sixty two, so I grew up through the uh, whole Motown sound into the, you know, Philly sound, into Minneapolis sound. My dad was a what we called a club weekend club, you know, DJ or private party DJ and um so music has always played a part in my life and you know through even through the college years when the music videos uh exploded onto the scene and took over the music world um where are where is or are the music videos being played now and do they have the same effect on making or breaking an artist?
1: oh i don't i don't really think they do uh i think the ones that they actually fall into i think two buckets now one you have your major major artists who can spend a whole lot of money and create some amazing videos uh you've got you know your beyonce's Nicki minaj ariana grande you've got your your really massive uh, artists that can do that and, and kind of call their own shots on what they're doing uh taylor swift you know etc. And the other end of it is because of the the democratization of the internet and and creating music and content you can, you know, have a band and sell your music online and shoot a music video with your phone and you know you can do all this and do it your own way how you want to do it and put it out there and you know grow your own fan base. Um, you might not get to the level of a Billie Eilish or a Little Nas X, but you can still get at, get something out there, and you know, see if you can find the people that are really into what you're into. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, the music video landscape is just absolutely different than it was uh, when MTV first launched, and then even uh, you know, at the end of uh, the end of the '90s. So the days of that, of watching music videos sort of the way that we used to, it's just, it's over. It's a, you know, it's a nostalgia kick to think about it. And one of the things that we do actually is we have music video time machine uh, dance parties uh, in uh, here in Brooklyn where we'll show uh, basically a lot of 90s uh, music videos um, on a big screen. And people, you know, dance and, and watch and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I haven't seen that in forever. And 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 then there's, you know, younger viewers who have, you know, they've they've come across these songs, but not in the context of or even in the era where they were released and they they will gravitate toward it. So I think some of the places to see those old music videos, because we live in an on demand society, you can just go on YouTube, search up whatever you want and watch whatever you want Um But, you know, it's 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 just not delivered in that way that it used to be delivered. I guess you can go on Vivo and do some sort of random playlist or something if you want. But uh, in the end, you know, not to be an old man, but it's just not (laughs) like it's just not like it used to be. It's it's not. And that's not and that's not saying it was better or it was worse or whatever. It's your own personal taste, Um, you know. I don't know what it was like to not have a television, you know, and, and, but my parents, you know, did, and their parents didn't know what it was like to have a radio. And then you just keep going backwards. So it's the area that you live. And it's also the time that you spent listening to certain songs or seeing certain videos at a specific time in your life. That's, that's part of what nostalgia is, is that you, the songs, that you may like you may not like them because they're great songs you may just like them because that's a moment in your life that means something to you
0: well yeah i i work with a young man who's uh he's 21 and he's
1: i'm deep- very sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he's deeply into hip-hop and everybody's the greatest creator of all time, this, that, and the other. And I constantly listen to him. And then I let him have his day and then come back the next day and say, hey, why don't you listen to this? Why don't you listen to that? You know, like right now he's on a big Kanye kick. And he thinks gold digger is the greatest thing ever. I said, well, why don't you listen to Ray Charles' uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I can't think of the name of the song yeah but it's said. literally a rip-off of a Ray Charles song he this young man always looks at me eventually he knows that I'm gonna bring something to him that's gonna be like oh that's where that came from
1: so right right so and I, I and and who's 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 to say uh something simple like uh bananarama did uh, a song called he was really saying something and it was a moderate hit not big but it's a remake of a velvet Velvet's song from the 1960s as is uh naked eyes always something there to remind me you know and and i remember listening to that before and having somebody go you know that's a remake and and you know going back and and listening to it even uh billy Idol's to be a lover is a remake. I I had no idea about that. Um, Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll is a remake. Uh, Yeah, so when you think about it, uh, you're always going to have somebody who's going to say, you know, you should be listening to this, but I would trust someone like you. I would trust going to a local record store. I would trust, uh, you know, getting in some groups where you talk about that stuff rather than trusting the algorithm which is always going to tell you what, what these guys think they you should be sold next. Um and maybe that's a very old person thing to say too. But I, you know, I still think about those scenes in high fidelity with you know Jack Black and these guys that are like if you listen to this you have got to be listening to this. So
0: Right. You know. Yeah, I mean I, I just and I don't want to shoot down what he's listening to and what he likes, I just want to say to him, hey, understand that those people listen to something themselves and kind of brought that into their stuff, you know. So you may like to listen to this. So, but I do give the young man credit. He, one of the things he does talk about the most is Parliament Funkadelic. So I <laughs> do give him some credit with that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to top the P-funk. It's, you know, it, it's just, there's just nothing <laughs> left.
0: Well, I had to explain to him that it was, uh, what they called the, the acid rock of the
1: uh, black youth. So, <laughs> well, hopefully listening to, um, you know, let me ride by Dr. Dre and knowing that that's, you know, parliament. So, I don't know, you know, it 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 all kind of can connect together at a certain point. I'm 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 eager to see what the next big thing is, but unfortunately it's all occurring in a giant ocean of of crap, you know. Right. It's hard to know where to go, what to see. Um when there's just a massive, massive ocean uh, of all of this stuff. There's just no way it can be it can be consumed. We we used to live in a monoculture. We used to have you know, classrooms of, of high school kids who come to get, you would get to class and everybody had watched the same thing on TV the night before Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist anymore. So it's, it's hard to know. But then again, I, you know, I have a son who's in high school and it it just, the, the way high school works now and and the, the, the way they talk to each other and there's a lot of it is about the phone. And a lot of it is about, uh, you know, consciousness of, of all these different issues that are going on it's a different experience um, than it was before so you know I, I can't possibly fathom how you ingest popular culture and uh can connect it with others on it randomly it, it seems like you have to seek out the crowd right that that's into what you're into
0: yeah, they they definitely have more of a world view on things and um sometimes it's almost like they wind up separating themselves f- from each other that way whereas yes. uh whereas they could be very tight knit in other ways when it becomes to like social issues and things like that. So it's It's a very interesting dichotomy to watch young people operate these days, you know. Um, So, but they definitely, as the title of your uh, of your magazine, basically, they definitely missed the golden age of something great, you know. The music videos that we got to watch, you know, I got I got to watch them basically late high school, my college years, and. You know, um, like you said, you couldn't wait to get back with you know get to school or get back to your group at college and say, hey, did you check out you know such and such uh, new new uh, music video or, and it even revived people like James Brown and you know, <laughs> and things like that. So, I'll give I mean, you, I'll give who you, have the thought, f- who'd have thought Meatloaf would you
1: know get a second chance too? You know? Right.
0: Well, I've really enjoyed this hour. I appreciate your uh, patience. Um, I'll give you the last voice on this and also um, where people can uh, find your uh, magazine and,
1: and find you. Great. Well, check out musicvideotimemachine.com. And once again, check me out on Twitter at MVTime Machine or Instagram at music video time machine um and if you uh go ahead and you know tweet me something um i'll pick someone at random and i will send you a printed copy of uh, a very limited edition printed copy of the first issue of music video time machine magazine
0: how long has uh have you had this magazine going
1: oh we well i've been doing the research for a very 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 long time and trying to figure out exactly what to do with all this research and all all these interviews and stuff I did. So finally, I thought, you know, I'm just going to do what what I want to see. I want to make the thing I want to read, and I so I created this magazine. And the first issue came out uh, earlier this year.
0: Okay. And um, again, one more time, where they could find that.
1: They can find that at musicvideotimemachine.com. dot com.
0: Well, Stephen, uh, again. Thank you for your patience, and I did enjoy this. Um, I think it will be a very uh, interesting topic for my listeners, and uh, I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, not at all.
0: It's great to talk to you, too. Okay. And, ladies and gentlemen, again, it was a discussion on um, the golden age of music videos here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast.
2: Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you talk to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant.
1: I bet 400, young blood. He ain't got nothing. He's selling one tickets, baby. I
2: call and raise you. FOMO, what you gonna do about that? Oh, yeah,
1: what you gonna do about that? They came around with the big boys. i call you. They a- baby. Four baby. <laughs> That's right, baby.
0: Just be cool, baby. Just be cool. We can work this out. Just be cool. Yes. Tony, Tony, Tony.
1: And DJ Quick.
2: <laughs> you didn't think we could flip it on your ass, huh? Something for the dance floor. In a real way.
1: It's going down like this forever. And a day.
2: Ha. Now, what you hear is not a drag. Cause Mr. DJ Quick got a brand new bag, but first I got a bag.
0: And we're back to wrap up the show today here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. A very interesting conversation with Stephen Tallow on the golden age of music videos. I definitely agree with Stephen. It was a very wonderful time in our life to watch uh, music take this turn and become very visual. Today... Music guests were uh, Tony, 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 which you just heard, and Cameo with Candy, which were both big-time music videos themselves. So, again, reach out to Steven Patallo and the information he gave earlier, and also continue to listen to me here on the JB Low-Tech podcast via, you know, whatever, you know, my Facebook group or... Apple Podcasts or podbean.com. And let's continue to grow this. As I I notice with the numbers, as I've asked, just tell one person and see if we can keep getting it to grow and getting it to grow. Happy Mother's Day to all those mothers out there. And um, those who lost your mother like me, just keep them in your heart and have a wonderful day. And remember, let's uh, keep growing this here on the JB's. Low tech podcast.
1: J B is my name and fing up motherfuckers is my
2: game.
0: Right on Negro Black African American black black black. Django J
1: B damn dolomite. Great card kind in of heaven, you know.
2: J B, our great Negro sex machine.